Welcome to the Root of Power podcast, where I teach you how to chase your joy, find alignment, and create a life and a business that you love using actionable methods, interviews, and inspiring stories from people who know that true freedom is found within. I'm your host, your always hype woman and sometimes ass kicker, Amanda Chills, and I am so proud of you for choosing to step into your power. Come along, we've got dreams to build. Okay, hello, Root of Power fam. It's been a hot minute, unless this is your first episode, in which case I guess it's been a lifetime for you. Welcome, welcome back. We are going to talk to Megan Shelsey, like seashells on a seashore. And she is just fucking great. She's great. She's killing it right now. She, we're going to talk about education and we're going to talk about kids and literacy rates and lots of other really fun things probably. Megan was a teacher for a number of years, and now she runs a like thriving tutoring agency that to me fills in the gaps between traditional education and all of its limitations and how kids actually learn. Um, So it really like accelerates and sets them up for a great foundation. And you did a really interesting thing the other day where you talked about like the difference between kids memorizing words to seem smart and teaching them sounds, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And you were like, they can actually have like 60 words if they do the sounds because they'll learn how to read versus just memorizing six words. It's like those kids where they're like, they know all the capitals. And it's like, well, yeah, if I did that for hours a day, every day with a four-year-old, they would learn it too. It's not impressive. Can they think? Um, So yeah. Anyway. Hi. How you doing? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I, I just, I love to talk about what I do because it's obviously really my passion and what I feel like I am here made to be doing. Um, I did, I spent 10 years in the classroom teaching, which I equally loved, um, but I was just ready for a shift and I didn't know what that was going to be in the last year and a half has kind of put me where I am and it's yeah. just such a great opportunity and I'm, I'm super grateful to be doing work that I love to do that I think is um, really become so needed in the world today. Yeah. So what's, Maybe walk us through like one of the differences from going from a classroom to tutoring, how you do. Yeah. Um, There's definitely differences in that it's more individual. The work that I'm doing is primarily one-on-one, although I am in the midst of launching small groups, which is very exciting. Announced here first. That Um, is exciting. Yeah. In December that is coming. So that's awesome. Um, but still really trying to keep that like individual attention um, on students, which I feel like, although there are small groups and there's, you know, one-on-one is always happening at different points in the classroom. I feel like for parents and for children to have that one-on-one explicit support for their child of where they're at um, can really help them make huge gains because it's that like targeted intervention. um, Mm-hmm. That's really making a huge difference in, in kind of setting them up with that solid foundation. Like you were talking about with the letters and the sounds, right? If they're just memorizing, yes, they're building their vocabulary. They're building their word recognition. It's, it's not bad, but really setting up them up with that strong foundation of knowing the sounds, yeah. right? The sounds that letters are making, because that is what's going to empower them to decode so many more words than just the 10 words that they've been taught. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't have kids and I don't work with kids. Um, so I'm not like 
I'm not hip to a lot of the issues that kids have. I am on the mental health side, but not so much like learning. But I was talking to my friend, Courtney, who's a parenting coach and she was a teacher for a long time. And she was saying like the literacy rates and like kids' ability to even one read, but sound out words has just tanked in the last few years. Yeah. And that is something that has really become a huge passion of mine in the last six months. I mean, it was always ever since um, I got my, you know, master's in early elementary education back in like 2012. So that was a long time ago, but in the last six months, I've really invested in Orton Gillingham training, which is a literacy um, certification. And so I had done the training and right now I'm going through the full year practicum, which is just like, I literally have my like 600 page, like book that I'm reading right now for fun. But I just find all of the research is so fascinating. Um, really this like science of reading Mm -hmm. way of approaching, um, teaching reading and reading instruction. And I think it's really just been so powerful for me. And then to be able to work with kids and to implement these strategies and these methods of teaching that are based on, you know, like the phonemes, like the sounds and really starting at that super foundational level because kids can have really strong comprehension, right? And that can carry them super far. But if they don't have those decoding skills, Mm -hmm. then it's going to max out at a certain point. Yeah. And if they have these decoding skills combined with these, you know, oral comprehension skills, Mm -hmm. that's where like true reading comprehension takes off. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like all these statistics about like when children get to third grade, kind of the gap in literacy goes like that, right? And so if they're not caught up with these foundational skills by third grade, the split, they will, most of them will never catch up. And given the last two years with the way education has gone, these -hmm. students who have struggled to kind of fill in these foundational holes, they're already not caught up and the gap is only gonna get bigger. So that's really what I see is like, my work is helping these kids catch up and fill in those holes so they have that strong foundation. And it's such a difference, like, as an adult, I can tell who grew up reading and who didn't. And it's like, when you talk to people, you can tell when people are well-read the vocabulary they use, their ability to think critically. And it's like, so if you were the weird kid in the library every week, hi, that was me. (laughs) Um, like you just, you have so much more access to the world than someone who shut out. And then there's like, so I have, I have a lot of friends who are teachers and I have a lot of clients who are teachers. And one of the things that they struggle with the most in the teaching profession is like one, the politicization, politicization, like the hierarchy of teaching and how teachers typically aren't superintendents, aren't making the rules, aren't doing things like that. And then watching like the systemic barriers where they only have so much agency. And that is something I don't know a teacher who doesn't struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that is great to no longer be a part of. Yeah, go be honest. Like the system, it's soul sucking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the hardest hands down the hardest decision I ever made was leaving classroom teaching um, because it was something that I really loved so much and I I truly that last year and never say never I could find myself back in the classroom someday I don't know but right now like when I walked away it was it was so hard because I loved it so much and I said I will never have a class as good as I had this year they were just amazing 
um, which made it so much harder to leave. Mm. Um, and I never really would have dreamed that I would be doing what I'm doing now, but I just mm. knew like in my gut that, that something wasn't right. I was working so hard. I was giving so much yeah. and it was my whole world. Yeah. And then there was a the whole financial piece where I <laughs> truly was on the verge of losing money every month and paying my bills wow. on the salary that I was making. Yeah. 10 years of teaching experience, a master's degree and all that. So it was just like, it just wasn't an alignment and something was just off. Um, So I stepped back and that was the fall of 2019. So I had no idea what was coming. And then- uh, What did you plan to do when you left? Like, what do you like? Uh, Didn't really know at the time uh, because I needed something productive. I signed up to run the Chicago Marathon. So I was training for the Chicago Marathon. That was going to (laughs) be my like, that's Columbus day weekend. So it's kind of like, I'm going to, you know, not go back to school, take some time, focus on this. And then I'll kind of like reset, um, and see where I'm at come October. Um, I had been a journalism major in college. So I was looking maybe into getting back into something to do with writing or journalism or newspaper or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now you write content for your business. Ta-da! And, <laughs> yeah, it's become like a combination of all the skills. The universe is funny. Mm-hmm. But how did you decide on tutoring? Like, did you just have a family ask you or were you doing it while you were teaching? And um, Yeah, no. So I had uh, been nannying for a family I've been with forever. They're like family to me now, but they had six kids. They have six kids. And I was with them <laughs> nannying like full time during that um, time that I'd taken off. So from that first fall that I didn't go back into school up until when COVID happened. Um, so I was around there when kind of schools made the shift to going online and there was support needed there. And going into the summer, I just had so many people starting to reach out to me with kids, not knowing what September was going to bring last September, um, mm-hmm. wanting the support. So I just kind of started saying, yes, yes, yes. Well, to tell the truth, I had actually been applying for full-time jobs. I had been applying to full-time teaching jobs to potentially get back into the classroom mm-hmm. and nobody was hiring. <laughs> so what? it was kind of like, no, I think schools didn't really know what they were doing at that time. Ah, okay. um, I was also just applying. I have done like a lot of um, like fundraising work. So I've been applying to different jobs, like at hospitals or nonprofits, kind of talking to people, seeing what was going on there. If maybe that was somewhere I wanted to go. I was getting on the phone every day and talking to different people I'd reached out to through LinkedIn and alumni yeah. connections, probably like 30 people during like May, June of 2020. Just <laughs> like none of those worked out. And no one was really hiring was the problem. So I got like a lot of insight into what people liked about their jobs and kind of what was out there, which I think kind of helped just expand my vision of what was possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then I just kind of took a leap to saying yes to a few families last year who were kind enough to want my support and kind of, it was just a perfect match. Smart Um, enough. Yeah. And yeah, it was a really uh, wild. Yeah. And here we are. And now you have how many people working for you? I have three, almost four. Um, yeah, which is really exciting. I think we have like uh, maybe 20 kids right now that we're supporting, which is awesome. Dude, nice. What does tutoring look like? Like when people think of hiring a tutor, I don't know. What do you do? Yeah. Um, so my like mission has always been to to make sure that learning stays fun, especially our focus is on truly like K to five. My focus is really K to two, but my tutors go up through fifth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it's definitely like individualized because we start with like a different assessments in the beginning to kind of like figure out where the kid is really at. Um, I feel like especially now, just saying you're in a certain grade or you're a certain age doesn't necessarily line up with skills. So getting some sort of base for where they're at. And then um, just like sequentially building on that in each lesson with, um, you know, activities that are picked out to support them. But then I always tell my tutors and I know I always try and include like something fun, whether it's like a game or like a writing activity or especially with the little kids, I've been doing a lot of the like writing where it's like something you really want to hang on the fridge. Like, you know, we're writing like a trip to the pumpkin patch or we're writing about like, you know, if I were a scarecrow doing some of those Mm -hmm. projects, because I feel like that's kind of the stuff that fell by the wayside last year with all the online learning. It was really um, writing has become a huge focus of what parents want help with. And I feel like for kids, like that's the stuff um, that I've still saved to this day. You know, my parents saved was all the stuff like that, that we kind of had done those cute writing projects. So I like giving kids an opportunity to have those because I really want them to feel like empowered and to feel confident in the work they're doing. And when they have something that, you know, their siblings did, or that they can show them that they did like, um, it gives them something to be proud of, you know, for all the work they're doing. Yeah. I love that you use the phrase empowering because I think the school system is very disempowering, not only to students, but to teachers. Like it's, it's disempowering. Yeah. (laughs) So what are you seeing kids struggle with the most? Like as a parent, if you're like saying, okay, well, I, I think my kid is struggling. I'm not really sure. Cause I'm not really checking. And I'll tell you, it's really weird. I have a lot of parents who don't even check their kids work. Mm-hmm. So they're like, I expect my 12 year old to turn in all of their homework and complete it and check their online and not lie about it. And I'm like, first of all, 12 year olds lie, kids lie about their homework. They all do it, but they're like, I don't, I don't know if it's normal. I don't know if it's always been a thing where parents just don't take any responsibility for their kids completing work. Like, I don't know if that was a trend when you were teaching or if that is maybe a pandemic thing, or if it's a regional thing, or if it's an always, it's always been their thing, but they'll be like, well, I don't think I should have to check between my child who's a child. And I'm like, uh, no kids lie and they forget things and they don't want to do the homework. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a lot. And it's also like getting back into those routines, you know, like after obviously schooling looks so different all over the country, depending on the mm-hmm. grade and the town and the school. Yeah. Um, but like getting back into those small routines, like I know some of my kids, some of my first graders, it's like, like transitions to the rug into their seats have become like a huge disaster and it's not their fault. They haven't had the experience to yeah. that because their kindergarten year was either spent online or it was like the class was split in two. So they were only in class with like 10 kids at a time. Yeah. And they were also sitting at their desk all day playing with only their little box of Legos stored under their desk and then going home. So they yeah. haven't had, it was, I don't know if you saw, I posted a couple of weeks ago about like a normal school year and yeah. current third graders, their last normal school year was when they were in kindergarten. That's crazy. So like, when you think about that you think about like all of those routines or all those activities or all of those like opportunities that you have in like kindergarten first second grade not just the academic skills but like the social emotional skills too Mm -hmm. and like problem solving and like cooperation and like sharing like those like kids don't just I think that's something that gets lost to people who aren't in education like Mm -hmm. 
kids aren't just like, they don't just like know things. <laughs> like yeah. everything has to be taught to them. And you can't expect them to be able to not just like grab a toy out of someone's hand or just like, you know, walk out of the room or just like right. do their homework. If that's not like a routine that's been established and yeah. like explicitly taught with like yeah. repetition. Interesting. Mm. That's, it's just wild to think about the things they have to like teach kids, which is one of the reasons I don't work with them. <laughs> also, usually because it's the parents. I'm like, yeah, no, it's not your child. Yeah, um, but like sitting at your desk, raising your hand, like those right. are all skills that they have, have to be taught. Yeah. And if they're not, they don't know how to do it. You can't, right? It's like managing right. expectations. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, super fair. And I think a lot of, at least in my experience, when I work with parents, like they're unrealistic about what their kids should be responsible for. Mm-hmm. And like, I literally have had parents say to me, well, I just shouldn't have to check behind them. They're, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. I'm like, what do, yes, you have to check behind them. What do you mean? <laughs> like, they're still a child. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, in in setting them up with the, that, those consistent routines so they right. can be successful, Right. right? right if it gets in the habit of like, you know, every, every afternoon you're coming home and you're doing your homework and then you can go out and play. Yeah. And that yeah, routines are so in third grade, then they're always, you know, then they're always going to be doing that. And I just, yeah, I, I'm such a routine person, but I think that it helps kids really thrive on structure and they like, no expectations. <laughs> yeah. And so if it's just like set in stone from the beginning, um, yeah. I think it, that's everybody up for success. Hmm. What do you think are going to be some of the consequent? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it's not easy. <laughs> oh no, no, it's not. Yeah. Just yeah, from like they don't have kids. They're difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what do you think are some of the consequences that we're going to see from like the disrupted school year and the gap that, because a lot of kids get lost in the cracks, like people can afford a tutor. So that inherently is privilege. So like families who are less privileged, who can't afford tutors, they're going to continue to fall behind. Yeah. What do you think we're going to see from some of that? Like, because I would imagine this will widen the gap even more. I think it's, it's definitely scary. (laughs) Um, I think, I mean, ideally that's something that I have thought about even myself. I mean, I, I live in Boston right now and even my town, even literally my street, both ends of it are just like such a different, I don't even know. Socioeconomic is different. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I mean, it's like in any city, right. But I've definitely thought a lot about that in the last year. Cause you know, on one end, yes, there's people who can hire a tutor Mm -hmm. two, three times a week to come and work with their kid last year. And then there's kids who, you know, like I know Boston public was fully remote all last year. I think they went back in April, but it was optional. Yeah. So for some of those kids who were online for a year and a half yeah. versus some of the towns that got kids back in K to two starting last Thanksgiving. Wow. Wow. So four days a week. Yeah. So That's a huge difference. I think it's just huge. And already, if we know that that like third grade point is such a pivotal split. Yeah. I think that, and I, and I do know what I am seeing from a lot of the kids I work with what the public school systems in their towns are starting to do is implement uh, intervention, like literacy Mm -hmm. intervention sooner. 
Um, usually, and I don't know all of the details and every town is different, but sometimes that takes a minute to get started mm. in the school year by the time you like can get all the kids assessed and into groups and scheduling and all of that. But I think that schools are really making what I've seen a huge effort. And I give so much credit to all of like special ed and administrators and teachers that are making that happen. But I think that they know if they can get this intervention in early, mm-hmm. it's going to pay off dividends in the end, right? Oh, yeah. Rather than waiting till second or third grade to fill in these gaps or even January, March to start this stuff, like yeah. getting them in for intervention, like 20 minutes a day, a couple of days a week, it, it really is going to make a huge difference. Um, I can imagine that would be one of the reasons that I work for myself is because I have worked for companies where I didn't like the systems and I didn't like I didn't agree with things that were done and how clients were handled and what I could and could not do as an employee, which is obviously different when you work for the state. (laughs) Um, So like working for a private company, I would have to look clients in the face and, and enforce a rule that I thought was not only dangerous, it was bullshit. So I was like, fuck this noise. I'm going to work for myself where if I don't agree with myself, we have a staff meeting and I go, Hey self, we don't like this thing. And And then we change it. But I'm allowed, because I have the freedom to, I'm allowed to always prioritize my clients and what is actually in their well-being versus do I want to make money? Is this rule for for profit, whatever, which some of the companies I worked for did and I hated it. Yeah. But my name wasn't on the building. My name wasn't on the company. Um, And that is something that I run into a lot with teachers is the systemic issues. Schools don't have enough social workers. The kids are hungry a lot of the kids are poor, you know, the, the funding for schools goes by property values, which is disgusting. And in our state, we have charter schools, a lot of charter schools who will take public funding, but don't have to take every kid in their district. We have that in Boston also, which is really interesting. So like with the rise of charter schools, you know, obviously the people who have more privilege are going to the charter schools and they can still have public funding, but they don't operate the same as a public school. And so you're trapped by like, circumstances that you can't do anything about. And I think the and this is something maybe we can talk about is like the expectations on teachers. I follow a lot of financial literacy people and they'll always say like, you didn't learn this in school. Why don't we learn taxes in school? Blah, blah, blah. Bitch, because you have parents and it's not a teacher's job to teach you taxes. Were you interested in taxes at 16? No, shut up. Like it's not a teacher's job. So there's like all these things where it's like, the limitations and the lack of agency and the systemic oppression that you can't do anything about. And so you, you have to watch kids suffer mm-hmm. knowing that you can only do your best. And it's probably not enough. Yeah. I think that's definitely with, with like people expect teachers to teach them life. <laughs> and on top of all of that, now you have kids that are all the way back here and you have kids yeah. that are all the way up here. And so the gap is bigger. Huge. One of my tutors, she's teaching fourth grade right now. And she has some kids at the beginning of the school year, you know, a big, big city that she's teaching in. She has kids that are reading essentially at like a kindergarten level and a kindergarten level, maybe first yeah. grade. Yeah. One group. And then she has kids, you know, a little behind and then on grade level. And then you always have kids above. Mm-hmm. She has no, no assistant. She has probably a bigger, I don't know how many kids, but definitely upwards of 20. And, and it's a lot to be doing. And obviously as teachers, like we are those people who just want to help everybody mm-hmm. and you yeah. are one person. And it's, I think that's the biggest frustration is it feels like banging your head against the wall because yeah. you cannot. That's why I say it's soul crushing. Problem. 
Yeah. Like you watch kids and you know, year after year, they're going to suffer. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It's not yeah. enough. It's not and enough. It, and it's it really- seemed, yeah, it, that must suck. <laughs> that sucks. And I think that that's why, um, I read something, uh, I think it was on LinkedIn. I saw it. 25% of educators have left the field between July and September of this year. Wow. Um, I don't know quite exactly what those numbers were based off of, but I don't doubt that there's some truth in a percentage somewhere yeah. around there because I know I don't blame them. I don't blame them. And I think it's terrible because at the end of the day, not terrible that they do it, but it's terrible because at the end of the day, it's the kids who lose. Because now you're getting either unqualified teachers, right? You have all of these, how many Instagram ads do you get for all of these companies like looking to hire teachers? And it's like the certifications are like, we'll take anyone because they're so desperate. These school systems are so desperate for teachers. Yeah. And I just think that it's really unfortunate. I think doing what I did and leaving when I left and still being so deep in education, I feel like it's so rare. And I am grateful to have found this path that I really like love in my like lane in education. Cause I think there's so much potential for things that could change in the next 20 years. And I would love to be a part of that. I think that there's a possibility, but I think I had this conversation when people, a couple people who had reached out back when I started doing what I'm doing. And I think we grew up in a generation of people who are lifelong educators, right? Like how many teachers did you have that, you know, were well-known in the town and they've yeah. been teaching for years and they maybe Dave had his mom for 30 years. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think generally like teachers and nurses, people go into it and they stay for their career and that's it. And I think it's really going to cause a huge shift mm-hmm. now that people are starting to leave at more rapid rates yeah. because just oh, in yeah. terms of like investment in tra- investment in training and in experience, right? You know, experience is worth more than any education in a master's degree program that you can As get. long as you are good at what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have a lot of people who have done things for a long time and they're awful. Yeah. But yeah, as long as you're continuing to learn, I think is yeah. and applying and getting feedback. But yeah, experience matters because the more times you see a pattern, the better you are at, hopefully the better you are at like fixing that pattern or getting interventions in early. But if you don't even know, like we just had an intern, I just had an intern come work. Um, who was like in school still doing her hours thing. And the gap between what they teach you in school and (laughs) what you have to do to like work with people is so big. So like she came in and I was like, and she was wonderful, super, I'm one of those people that I'm like, sink or swim, bitch, we're, we're jumping. Like, sorry, we're swimming now. Yeah. Um, and she was very wonderful, but yeah. through no fault of her own, what they teach you mm-hmm. is only a small percentage of the skills I, that you need. I say that all the time when I talk about going to grad school for education. Mm-hmm. I, I was fortunate to go right away, kind of. I went the yeah. September I graduated from college, um, which was amazing. I had an incredible opportunity and I went to Boston college and it was an amazing education school and I'm so grateful for it, but truly if I had it to do over again, I don't know that I would have made the choice, but for other people, I mean, getting the real world experience or at least teaching while you're in school so that you have that applicable knowledge is huge because I, 
I was not in a classroom at the time I was doing my student teaching and things like that. But you know, when I had like people who'd been teaching for 10, 15, 20 years in my classes, the experience that they could bring to those classes and the way they could relate that information to class, I feel like gave for a fuller picture. Um, Because it was also theoretical, you know, you write these, (laughs) it's really interesting now going through a practicum, having had 12 years of classroom experience, typing up lesson plans, and it's so much more realistic than the lesson plans 22 year old no teaching experience me was writing yeah because it's also theoretical right and then you get in a classroom and you're like this is not how it goes <laughs> it's not realistic and so I'm yeah. writing lesson plans now and I'm like well we were going to do all of this but in reality this is really all we got done today yeah. and like this is why and trusting that you have the educational judgment to be like mm-hmm. that was the right call yeah and that's something I see a lot of um people who teach for a living, like therapists, nurses, like it's, it's a teaching field, nursing a little bit less, but like, ideally we're all empowering clients Mm -hmm. to seek their own knowledge. And I, I wonder if that's a long-term thing that we'll see is just like the loss of curiosity because. Right. Right. Or you think about, um, like teachers who have been doing it for so long, it's like, okay, they know like the projects that work well, they know what's going to be like, better bang for your buck in terms yeah. of like the science experiment that you do or like those mm-hmm. year long projects that the kids take home that were worth making them journal in every <laughs> Friday. Like you yeah. have that depth of knowledge to be able to see, right. Hindsight's 2020. But so to, you to get a meta of- picture too, that takes being in it for a certain amount of time too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was even talking about that with tutoring. It's actually so fun that we're doing this today because I'm yeah. celebrating technically one year of my business on Thursday. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I was just okay. on another call talking about that and kind of just, I feel like only now am I starting to be able to like reuse stuff that I yeah. had started yeah. last year, you know, whether it's like Thanksgiving writing projects or kind of like, yeah. you know, holiday themed like games and things stuff that I like invested a lot of time in a year ago yeah now is kind of like paying off because I've been through it once you know and so do you think tutoring and the way that you're going is really the way of the future um because I don't see like public schools changing yeah like they would have to revamp the entire system I do think that last year really opened up a lot of people's eyes to in in by people I mean like parents I think in terms of what's expected of children and also in terms of how much teachers do right Uh they they saw firsthand like what is required in order for them to build these skills particularly my focus being on the early k-2 to end like the kids don't just pick up a book and know how to read it Right. Or, you know, people will say like, well, I've bought them, you know, all these books and they, and they can't, and they're like freaked out. And I'm like, well, first of all, like picture books are extremely difficult to read. They use all of this vocabulary. They use all of these names kids have never seen. They they don't follow any sort of like phonetic structure or anything like that, you know? So picture books aren't necessarily books that your kid's going to be able to, your first grader is going to be able to pick up and read. You know, they make those early readers or they make these little like science readers or they make these like phonetic books. And that's so Orton Gillingham is really big on teaching um, like the phonetic patterns you teach in like hooked on phonics. It's literally so it's like a phonics focus. So you're teaching them those sounds. Yeah. Like we talked about so that they can, you know, yeah. And I think that the power of it, like in the last week, I've had two kids I've been working with the last six, eight weeks 
be able to read for the first time. And it's like the look on their faces. It's like, they they don't know what's happening. They're like, how am I doing this? And it's because they have that solid, solid foundation that we're putting into them for eight weeks. And so all of a sudden, so what I love about these books, they're literally black and white. I print them off of the, um, the website and they're these decodables, they call them so that kids, once they have this solid foundation mm-hmm. of the letters found, they can decode every word on the page. That's awesome. So it might seem kind of boring, like Sam and the fish, but to a kid who's now learned those like vowel patterns or whatever, that they can all of a sudden like read yeah. every single word and not be tripped up like in a picture book and then just get frustrated and say, awesome. I can't read. And so, yeah, it's very That's awesome. Yeah. It's like a huge. So if thing. parents are like wanting to invest in their kids' education, what would you say if they were going to do like one thing, what was the, what would be the biggest bang for the buck? Read to them every night. Like, and have them watch them read. Like they say that the strongest like predictor and indicator, like the biggest way that you can help your child be successful is that 20 minutes a day reading 20 minutes a day. And like, yes, ideally as they grow, like they're reading 20 minutes a like, day. Like does the kid watch you read? Like, But they- even if you're not, even if your kid isn't actually reading, like like, yeah. like nightly reading, right? Or, you know, having books around the house so in the afternoon, you pick up a book and you read for five minutes because they are learning so much in mm-hmm. you modeling for them. They're hearing like oral fluency, right? So they're hearing how it should sound because when a little kid is reading, it's like so chopped up, right? They're yeah. working so hard to sound out every word. But the more they're hearing it, that's going to help mm-hmm. build it. They're, they're seeing words and they're seeing, you know, that we read from left to right. Yeah. We turn the pages front to back, like skills like that. They don't That's just crazy. know. Yeah. And also then like asking them like comprehension questions as you're reading, you know, it doesn't have to be anything formal, but like, who are the characters in this book? You know, like, what's the setting? What's the problem? Yeah. Sequencing. Like what happened in the beginning? What happened at the end? Like comprehension questions like that, because the first skill and then being able to write down the line is having that like oral. Yeah. Skill. So they can talk about what they're reading and talk about what they're understanding and build those comprehension skills. Yeah. So that then when they have those decoding skills, they can just go. They're like to the moon. But if they only have one and not the other, then there's going to be problems down the line. Oh. Yeah. Fascinating. And also hire a tutor and we'll help them get there faster. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining like a whole like self-paced course for parents too. Yeah. It's funny. I um, joked that I built out a whole reading course last year that I never sold. And it's true. I actually gave this a stab last winter. I think I didn't quite have my, my focus, but that was kind of a direction to go is kind of, um, I forget what it's called. I think it was called like empowering readers actually. And it was like giving skills to parents, like these reading comprehension, pick one of these skills. And every night this week that you read a book with your child, literally just ask them to make a prediction. That's brilliant. Actually, please sell that. Yeah. Cause I, and I think that, right. It's split. I think there are parents who, who want that. And then I think there are parents who a big, and maybe you've heard this feedback from parents you work with too, is like, I'm their parent and they won't do it with me. Mm-hmm. Like they, they work with me. Like I haven't actually, um, I think a lot of parents think it's not their job. Mm-hmm. So they're like, or, or they don't read. So they don't understand because it's hard when like people are in the swamp and they don't understand that they're in the swamp because they've been in the swamp their whole life. And they're like, well, this is normal. Everybody struggles to read everybody. Like they don't understand where their limitations are because they can't see them. Mm -hmm. But like as someone who reads a lot Mm -hmm. and who grew up reading a lot, Mm -hmm. 
the difference is so big is so big and people don't even know how big it is, but if they didn't grow up reading, it hasn't caused a problem in quotes, if it's never impacted them in quotes, because they don't understand how it's impacted them, the opportunities they've missed. And that's like some of the families I work with now who, you know, it's the, it's the third of three siblings, right? So the the two older sisters were fine. They never had an issue. So the parents never really had to stop and think about it. And now it's like all of a sudden this kid who maybe would have been fine, but maybe would have struggled the last two years hasn't done them any yeah and so now they're really like they're not picking it up like their siblings did and I feel like for parents that's like a a big panic moment and to me I'm like give me your kid for six to eight weeks and they will be fine like we will catch them up like build that foundation now and they'll be set up because there's this um there's a saying right that in the beginning kids are learning to read and then they start reading to learn so they have to have this ability to be able to decode words yeah. so that then they can use it, right? They shift to like the content knowledge where they're reading science text, yeah. history. they need those comprehension skills and they need the decoding. So if they have yeah. it in the beginning, then they can, cause what, that's the whole third grade. Then right? you can once, branch out. Yeah. And once they get to like, out, you have no grade, if they can't read, if they can't break down words and like put them back together and read that, then how are they supposed to learn about like uh men going to the moon or something, you know, how are they supposed to read? Even truly it's like when they get to second and third grade in math, right. When they're doing word problems, yeah. if they can't read, they don't understand what the question is asking. Right. It doesn't matter what numbers are on the page. Yeah. So it's truly like the foundation for the rest of their life. Yeah. And it's parents who like, I can't tell you how many adults I know that have not read a book ever, ever. And they're, they're like, well, it's not audiobooks, not the same. Yeah. There's a when we first got together, swear to God, he has not read a book in his adult life since college. Yeah. So like the modeling, bro, what are you doing? (laughs) It comes back to modeling. There's a, um, there's like a quote picture. I love, I had it in an email a couple months ago and it's a little girl or boy. It's a kid sitting on a parent's lap and they're both reading. And Mm -hmm. it said something like, it's like children become readers on the laps of their parents. Right. And so it's like, if you're modeling that and that's something that's valued in your home, yeah, kids are so aware they pick up on everything. Like if you have a book on your nightstand or if you're reading and everybody's busy, I can only imagine how busy parents are, especially in the last couple of years, but right. you know, I but also, so you much- choose to have kids. Like I have a lot of empathy for that, but no patience. Like you still have a responsibility. Right. And so that's why, like what I've been starting to do is I give my kids, I work with like a little book bag with their books Oh my God. and I don't want to put more work on the parents, but I think for a lot of parents, it's like, they don't know what books to give their kids to read. Like you yeah, say, read every day, but like they can't read these picture books we have. So like, what do you want? So that's why. And it's like these little phonetic decodable readers, black and white stapled, like to us, they look so boring like yeah. to a kid who's learning to read. It's like them. magical that they can, re- they don't care. They read every yeah. word in that page. I let them color in the picture of the pig in the mud and they're like, so happy, you know? Yeah. Um, so what I've started doing lately, cause I know I don't want to put more on the parents, but I'm like, well, sometimes parents just, they don't know. Right. Like I think a lot of times they don't know. So I've been giving them those book bags. And before I leave with their new book, we worked on that day. I'm like, go put this on your bed right now. Run yeah. upstairs and put this on your bed before I leave. Yeah. Next three, four hours go by and then seven o'clock rolls around and they go up to their room and it's like, oh yeah, like these are my books and like setting them up books. for I love success that. with those routines. It's so scary. if parents are going to do anything, just read to your kids. Honestly, there is so much research to back up that that is like the number one 
yeah. predictor of future academic success across the board. Wild. There's, um, uh, it's another thing I've posted, but it's like, if you, if you read 20 minutes a day, mm-hmm. oh, I saw that one. That is, it's like, you know, in a year you read like 2 million words. And if you only read 10 minutes a day, it's like, you know, 30,000. And if you only read five minutes a day, it's like 2000. Yeah. So, so it's like, not even like half, like it's not even correlated to like half. That's crazy. It's like exponential. Yeah. So, so even wow. for these kids, right. Who say maybe like socioeconomically, like aren't going to hire a tutor or things like that. Right. Valuing reading and valuing like books in your home, yeah. going to the library, taking out books. If your libraries are open again, like just in, building like a love of reading and like yeah. a love of it. And then it doesn't have to be like, I just sent an email last week that like education shouldn't be like a checking of the boxes. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like filling a pail versus lighting a fire. Right. And so it shouldn't just be like checking these boxes and like, you know, doing the reading log every night. It should be like, Ooh, like we get to go to the library this weekend. Like yeah. I earned going to get a book and a Lego set, you know, like yeah, what legit. Them to kind of build up that, like, um, just like love and like joy of learning and that it doesn't have to be stressful and frustrating and overwhelming. What about adults who want to get better? Just same thing. Read, read more read things, read, join a book club. My high school friends, we started a book club. I think we started it before the pandemic, but we had it going last year. You guys are so hipster. (laughs) We did it before. We definitely started before the pandemic because it used to be whoever was going to host the next month got to pick the book. Uh, It wasn't every month, but maybe like every six weeks or every two months, but it kind of gave you motivation. I mean, I was an English major, so obviously I like to read. You don't need Um, motivation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's motivating when you know, like other people are doing, you're like, oh shit, we're doing that dinner on Thursday. Like I got to finish up the next <laughs> chapter. Like, nice. Um, there's so many good books out there. There are. I actually, I wanted to go into children's book publishing when I first graduated <gasps> college. It's definitely a goal of mine to write at least one children's book. So it can be phonetic. It could be phonetic. I hope not. <laughs> but oh, um, no, I thought that was what you wanted. I don't know. Yeah, but not for my, not for what I oh, produce. Okay. that's exciting so if you want people to like remember one thing about if they're like I suddenly have amnesia for the last hour and I will only remember this one thing what would it be that learning can be fun and to read to your kids kids every night or just read but even like, and I just was joking with a friend about like, in terms of like working out, right? Like I was rushing around this morning and enough time to do the full workout. And it was like, okay, like 20 minutes is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if you're not going to read for 20 minutes every night, like read one book, like mm-hmm. build routines, but start small, like yeah. sustainable routines, I think are the, are the key. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. That's a good one. And then like, yeah. How do people find you? I am all over Instagram at the next step education. Um, I think there's a link in my bio. You can join my weekly newsletter. Um, and I'm also recently on YouTube. I'm starting to post on YouTube weekly to kind of share tips and, um, just sort of like educational insight. This, uh, like I said, this practicum that I'm taking with Orton Gillingham has been so fascinating to me. And so I'm kind of like sharing some of those super interesting things that I've been doing. Um, yeah. So all over Instagram and also YouTubes. Yeah. Join my newsletter. I'd love to have you on it. Sharing, 
sharing all the things every week. All the things, dude, so useful. Thank you very much. What I've learned recently, like with stuff I've been sharing is like a lot of these spelling rules and things like that. Like we, who now are so far in our like reading and education career, there's a lot we like take for granted that we forget we had to learn. So I think it's like reminding people of the work that goes into teaching Mm -hmm. children to become lifelong students and lifelong readers, um, just kind of like bringing them back and like showing them the value of the work that we're doing and the progress that their kids can make with the right support. And it sounds like it doesn't take super long either. It's not like it takes two years to build a foundation, like a couple months and, and they're much farther ahead than where they were. Yeah. And I think it's that personalized support, right? It's giving them the space to be able to ask questions. And I think that the number one phrase I have heard from almost every parent I've talked to is the lack of confidence that their kid has. And that's in, right. Parents have told me it, like, that's the thing that breaks their heart the most. Yeah. Because they just like seeing their kids struggle and lacking like confidence and getting to that tipping point of where they used to be so excited and now they're not. So I think just giving them, yes, the foundation and the explicitly taught skills, but then also like cheering them on, right? And building up that confidence and being like, look at like with some of my kids, right? Once they learn all those initial um, sounds, they can break down like compound words, like reading the word pig pen or sunset. Like I just read a six letter word. Like they can't believe it. And like that is- carry them so much farther than memorizing a deck of flashcards, you know? Mm. This is so good. Okay. At the next step. What? I feel like we could talk for hours. This is so great. I dude, podcasting is literally the funnest thing. I say it all the time. Like it's, I always wanted to be a talk show host and (laughs) thank you internet. Now I have my own talk show. It's great. You are. (laughs) <laughs> who knows? Maybe that could be coming in 2022. I haven't done my uh, new year goals yet. So we'll see. But I do think I do love sharing about it. Cause I think that there's just like so much. I think YouTube is definitely your jam. Yeah. I'm excited. And I've been linking them, embedding them in my newsletter. Well, I guess only once. Cause it just started last week, but um, just quick little tip, like one to three minutes, just little hundred percent track record. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, um, well, the next one is batched and ready to go this week. So we are good. Dude, you're um, yeah. And okay. it's all about letters and sounds and numbers. All right. Thank you so much I mean, for having me. This was so fun. Thank you. Love spending right. time with you. Root of power fam. Go read. Read to your kids. No, Instagram doesn't count. <laughs> a little bit. It may count for 5%, but read a book. You're a gem. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.